It's Ash, and this is Flicks and Scoops, the podcast that churns the cream of films into the butter of ice cream. I invite guests on to pick a film that they want to talk about, and I concoct an ice cream based on that film for us to eat while I pick their brains. This one's a blast from the past. We recorded this over Zoom a while ago when I got stuck at home during the mutant wave. I interviewed writer and dinosaur enthusiast Martha Lane, who I knew from college, and she was just as delightful as ever. Martha even went through the pain of following my cack-handed recipe. But, as with every great artist, you've got to suffer for your art. Martha selected Jurassic Park, so I gold-blum laughed my way into the kitchen to make a vegan cherry pie ice cream. You'll hear the details of the flavour in the episode, and if you want to play along yourself at home, then the recipe is on flicksandscoops.com. Jurassic Park. The Spielberg film set in a dinosaur theme park that sees a tour go a little bit tits up. Spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Jurassic Park, then what are you doing? Go watch it, please. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again. Uh, 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 you'll have to say the magic word. Before we get started, it's time for this week's Zany Miscellany. Some miscellaneous information about actor Billy Zane. Zany Miscellany. Take some life advice from Zane. He said, if I was given advice, I'd say there are no problems, only solutions. That or dress for success. Hmm. I think there's a valuable lesson in there for us all to learn. If you want to get involved in some zany miscellany, then hit up at Flicks and Scoops on any of the socials or email contact at flicksandscoops.com. That's enough from me. Hold on to your T-Rexicles for Flicks and Scoops episode 16. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Flicks and Scoops. Up now, we have a shark film connoisseur whose parents, dare I say, missed a trick by not naming a penny. She's a writer and she may be poor, but you better believe she's clean as a whistle. Please welcome to the show, Martha Lane. Hello. (laughs) What an intro. How are you doing? You good? Absolutely thriving. Very nice. Uh, well, first up, I'd just like to congratulate you on being the first guest who's played along at home. Due to the current situation on Plague Island here, we're unable to record in person, so Martha graciously offered to cook the ice cream as well. And because not everyone's stupid enough to buy an overpriced Heston Blumenthal ice cream machine, uh, we made a vegan ice cream so it didn't need to be churned. How did you How did you get on with making it? Well, you asked me if I had any allergies. And I said, no, but I don't like fruit. And you said, fuck you, we're making cherry ice cream. (laughs) So I'm really excited to try it. (laughs) Martha was very clear at the start that (laughs) we don't like fruit in this house. No, we don't eat fruit. But it's fine because it smells mainly of coconut, which is the benefit of of using coconut milk in a vegan recipe. So it'll be fine. Martha wanted to talk about Jurassic Park. So we've got, as she said, a vegan cherry pie ice cream purely for the for the dodging scene when Nedry puts shaving foam on top of the cherry pie and a little secret ingredient I used was cocoa butter because there's stearic acid in it and stearic acid is one of the main ingredients can you say ingredients components of the uh, shaving foam I did not know that I had to use cocoa butter no I had to use Coconut oil, sorry, because the only cocoa butter I could find was face cream. How does that taste? Delicious. Do you like the ice cream? I haven't tried it yet. I've been oh, waiting. Okay. 
I've been learning oh, go wow. soft. I'm uh, honoured. Please <laughs> go go right ahead. I didn't even taste when cooking. I'd have been oh, kicked really? off the chef. You didn't give the bowl a lick. No, I don't like cherries because <laughs> I'm nervous. <laughs> Maybe you could be on one of these Channel 4 things, you know, where fussy eaters, where they have like a mental breakdown trying to I eat a pea or something. I don't think not eating cherries makes me a fussy eater. It's delicious. It mainly tastes of coconut. It's absolutely delicious. Sweet, sweet. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of pleased how it turned out. They always say necessity is a mother invention. So I was always a bit more creative when I come home and I don't have all my gear. Yeah. No, I didn't know that you had a fancy ice cream machine. Yeah, well, the the thing is, it's actually a German branded ice cream machine. So in Germany, you can get it for like 200 quid cheaper. But here, Heston Blumenthal um, sells Bumps it in the way, price. Yeah, exactly. Waitress, mm. I guess. So they put his name on it, slap an extra couple hundred quid on it, which is a bit ridiculous. See, um, I thought I was fancy because I bought one of those hot chocolate machines from Hotel Chocolat with my furlough oh, cash. Oh, the Velvetizer. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Man, That's how I live my life. There. Just for the name, if anything. <laughs> but yeah, we can get to film stuff later. Martha's been having a lot of her flash fiction featured in various places, including one story that's currently nominated for Papand Magazine's 2020 Best Small Fictions Anthology, as well as another piece that won the Lightbox 100-word competition. Woo! Um, how long have you been writing flash fiction for? Since April. Okay. So um, into the game. I thought I was going to write novels. So it didn't, and I was told by a lecturer that I wasn't very good at writing short stories. So I just thought, oh, that's not what I do. And then fast forward to April, and you don't have loads of time on your hands. Um, and I just realised I could come up with lots. I think I have lots of ideas, but I can't possibly write a novel for every single one because okay, right? You couldn't write a novel about frogs coming to a garden. That's just <laughs> it'd be a really lo- boring novel. Um, and then once somebody accepts you, you think, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this. And I kept going and I haven't stopped. So it was more through circumstance that you came to write it rather than, was it something that initially drew you to flash fiction, this short way of telling a story? No. Yeah, like circumstance, just trying to do something quickly, getting that kind of the need to do something creative while being stuck inside with two kids. Um my two kids, I should. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just the need to do something that was a bit different to watching cartoons and realising that I could kind of churn them out quite fast. I've always liked short story collections or anthologies. I don't know. Well, I think they're really popular in America. Yeah. I I don't really read them. I'm going to start reading them. Um, they're really popular in America. There's not much of a market for them in the UK, but I think that has I think that has changed in the time that I wasn't really paying attention to the literary world. And now I'm looking, I suddenly realise there's a whole new side of it. And obviously so much stuff is online now that there's more opportunity to get published than having to kind of write a book. I think that short format is very indicative of the times that we live in, I think, with all this quick... Like instant gratification. Instant gratification, um, short attention spans, and exactly. the need for content, like more and more content. Obviously, an, a writer can't make, like I said, they can't write four novels in a year, but you could write four short stories. I mean, yeah, some sure. short stories take a decade, but you know what I mean? That kind of the need to produce stuff 
because everybody's a consumer now. No, but it's good that you're uh, using that mindset in a creative way. It's good. But how's it been writing during a pandemic? Is it all work and no play makes Martha a dull girl? <laughs> uh, no, I love it. I really, I, it's, ov- it's obviously something I am quite good at and it's nice to be able to blow your own trumpet once in a while. Um, so it's nice to be doing, rather than, you know, a shit job doing something you're okay at, but you're just kind of doing it because you have to, because you need to pay rent and stuff. Whereas now I'm I'm in a position where I can d- do something I like and I'm good at and get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what sparked your passion for writing in the in the first place? What made you want to write? I have no idea. I guess I always liked read. I've always loved films, always liked reading. I liked stories. And so even from a very, very young age, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to make my own stories. I think as well, I quite often didn't really like a lot of the stories that I was being told I should like. Mm. And if you don't like those stories, you have to write the ones you do like. So, you know, little girls are told to watch films with princesses in I had no interest in that so you write stories about sharks (laughs) very good stories about sharks (laughs) Um, and do you see yourself writing a lot more of this flash fiction or have you got other projects on the go Um, no I hope that this is me for for a bit Um, I have written a novella which is basically a short novel um, which I'm going to I'm literally about halfway through the final kind of proofread and then I'm going to start sending that out. So hopefully that will lead to something. But I'm aware that, you know, I've written lots of books that have never led anywhere. So you can't really get your hopes up too high. Is that because you've wanted to keep them for yourself or have you? Oh, no, I've been rejected <laughs> so many times. <laughs> so many times. Who it's has it? I mean, you have to suffer skin. for your art, right? <laughs> Do you, did you find it easier to write this flash fiction than the novella, for example? Or is it a different process? Yeah, it's different. I think now I'm in the groove. I am finding flash fiction quite easy to write at the moment, but there'll be time, you know, writer's block or hit or something will happen where I, I think I've run out of ideas and then you need, or you'll get a string of rejections and just say, oh, actually, I'm terrible at this. Do you ever get reader's block? Yeah. Yeah. And the same with films. You think, oh, I can't watch a film. So I'll watch three hours of TV instead. Yeah. I get that bit sometimes. Winter, mainly, actually. Oddly enough, it's the perfect time for <laughs> sitting in and doing naff all. But I think I get this, um, what is it, seasonal depression or something like that? Effe- seasonal affective disorder. Sad. That's it, yeah. Sad. Sad. I just get sad, yeah. Just get sad. Um, I think, I mean, I don't read very much at the minute. I used to be a a big reader but again I'm mainly reading How to Train Your Dragon on an evening and mm. then doing school reading and doing so the the idea of kind of actively sitting down to read for enjoyment I, my brain's just not there I think I've read about two books this year which is shocking but no but I I, I get that because it was the same for me at uni uh, studying film you watch so many films in a day that you, you just can't be bothered to watch one for enjoyment Mm. Well, you said there that you read a lot of kids' books, and it seems that you, from what I've read anyway, it seems that your kids or motherhood serves as a big inspiration for your writing. Would you say that's accurate? 
Yes, yes. Lots of, uh, the, one of the stories I'm trying to get published at the minute is about a baby that eats its mother. So it's not always, <laughs> it's not always the most uh, not realistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something about being stuck inside with them constantly uh, skewed my opinions on motherhood, I think. I think that's natural. I think that's fair. Yes. They are all consuming. <laughs> Do your family play a big part in your writing or is it more of a solo process for you? Like, Do you give them drafts let's say all right maybe not you maybe not your kids for, for constructive uh, criticism but well one of the things i've got coming out next year is a unicorn activity book i don't actually know okay. if i'm allowed to say that yet but i have uh so my daughter did look at that with me <laughs> my partner's not a massive reader so every time i do give him something he basically questions why i've written something so miserable <laughs> uh, but my mother that's who i send my drafts to she is my number one fan. She's very helpful. Sweet, sweet. Is she a writer herself? Or? No, but big reader. I think she might have a book in her, but she is a, she's definitely a big reader. That's cool. But do you find writing or the process of it quite cathartic? Because you said there that you wrote about quite a lot of miserable stuff. And I ask because some of the topics that you write about are quite heavy. Um, for me, for example, like, I have a book. It's not a diary, but just that I jot thoughts down, maybe try and do it a bit artistically, but it helps me to not internalise stuff. Do you find that writing helps you sort of deal with those kind of things? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, like you say, it does it in a creative way. So you can write about frogs in the garden, but it's actually about the sense of anxiety creeping in or yeah, lots of metaphors and things to help you kind of work your way through that's not why I write but it, I think it probably there is an element of that and there's a probably you know that's possibly why I started in April as well it was that feeling of not being able to do anything not be, not mm. having any control in how I was living my life because I was very much being told to stay inside being allowed to kind of live vicariously through what was on the page but that sounds really <laughs> up my own ass. I just come up with strange ideas and write them down and see if it works. <laughs> I won't worry about that. You're on a podcast about films and ice cream. I don't think I could be any further up my own arse. <laughs> um, so now comes the George Orwell question. Why do you write? Oh, I just enjoy it. I just want to tell stories. And I want to tell the stories that I don't seem to be able to find anywhere else. I think that's slight, That's possibly why I started. I think that's different now because, like I say, the the range of stuff out there is so much more vast. So there'll be loads of people who write similar stuff to me. Um, but that just idea of, it's all about legacy. I want people to know my name. <laughs> and that's why George wrote. He might say other things, but... Obfuscators, politics, but we all know. Yeah, we all know. He just wanted to be a household name. Um, no, you, I think if you've got something to say, it's the same with wanting to do... I've always been that way in class, you know, thinking about starting podcasts, did a bit of stand up, just, you know, it's just making an impact on somebody, trying to make somebody laugh or trying to make somebody think, or just, I think some people are that way inclined. And it's, you know, it's, that's what the art industry is, thrives on, isn't it? It's just people trying to make their mark. Yeah. Yeah, of course. You mentioned there about it, um, you're not being able to find stuff that maybe you relate to. Do you find that the landscape sort of changed now with online writing being such a big thing rather than, you know, published works? Yeah, I think that, 
I think that just allows for more. So the Happened magazine is in America, and I probably wouldn't have been looking at lit mags in America to like send my stuff to to for them to publish because my you know my writing is very English. I think it's quite a European slant to it. I don't kind of change my style because I'm sending it abroad, and I think that you know all these international places are suddenly open to lots of different types of writing and obviously the what is expected of gender and all that stuff has changed loads in the last five ten years so that's all up for being kind of discussed creatively and in a different way and as well with being online you can play around more with format and if it's not printed in a book so there's just more I think there is probably more ways of of doing unconventional things let me eat some more ice cream. It's turned to soup. <laughs> uh, well, the reason I got in touch with Martha and asked her to be a guest is because I'd seen a few of your film reviews. Actually, were they for a cinema? I did something for the film magazine, which is I think he is based in the in Newcastle, but he's a he's an online um, right, right. journal. Um, I have. Uh, I did used to work at a cinema in Newcastle. Ah, maybe that's so right. I yeah, they've got the two things. Um, so. But I used to do film reviews as well before um, before I worked at the cinema and used to review them at that cinema. So I will have mentioned them in some of the in some of the uh, reviews. I've seen those, but then the the piece that it was was the why it's so hard to make a good shark film. And I read I read that I was like, oh man, gotta get her on. <laughs> <laughs> that is the hill I will die on. <laughs> how uh, how did you find the whole? deep dive into shark films i um have found a new passion in life um was i just that, realized that something that you came up with or did somebody ask you to do it that was just me <laughs> that was <laughs> it back in you know shut inside and i just suddenly realized i had never seen jaws and Whoa. i watched jaws i think i had no i did i had seen it way too young like my front room no sorry my the the like dining room in my mum and dad's house when we were growing up had uh, had the fridge in it because the kitchen was too small for the fridge the fridge was in our dining room and there was a little telly on top of the fridge and that was what we used to like watch while we were eating our breakfast yeah, and yeah. I do remember one evening me and my like she's four years younger than me so if I was too young for it she was way too young for it kind of half watching Jaws but not really you know the shark's not in it enough to keep a 10 year old interested and then all the other stuff is a bit too grown up so I just didn't really watch it just thought it was rubbish and then obviously this year a bit more time on my hands and it was at the time where my partner was taking my kids out for their like hourly exercise and I had a whole hour to myself a day and I just thought I'm gonna watch Jaws and it's the best film ever made it's the best film ever made surely claim Big I mean, claim. apart from Jurassic Park, it's the best film ever made. They're the same film, really. One is underwater and one's on an island, but they're the same. And then I just thought, right. So I watched that about three times in a row. And it's a very good metaphor for COVID. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> an unseen nemesis. Uh, so the authorities keep saying, don't close it. Of course you can go in. It's safe. Loads of crowds, loads of sense of doom. <laughs> that inevitably you know that it will be fine but then it's not fine of course it's not fine and it's indiscriminate there's kids dying there's adults dying you know it is a good metaphor 
I, I agree. I mean, the, the Amity, the Amity Mayor meme exactly. was doing the round of early on, wasn't it? Well, this is how we make all of our money. I did watch that about three times in a row and then thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to watch the second one. Um, and then realised there's quite a few shark films available on Netflix. And I watched so many and they are all terrible. Apart from, I do have a soft spot for Deep Blue Sea because I did watch that as a teenager. <laughs> And is it LL Cool J? LL Cool J. Being burnt alive by a shark. I mean, what? Don't they open a fridge at some point as well? Or turn a radiator on or whatever? Yeah, yeah, they turn the oven on with him inside. Oven. That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Um, so it is bad, but I, I still had a soft spot for that one. And The Shallows, which is a bit more recent. That one is, is quite good because it's, it's literally girl versus shark. There is no, what I found was loads of shark films try really hard to, like, just a filler. So we'll have, oh, we'll have uh, an it girl and we'll have ex-lovers and we'll have um, we'll have a robbery in, in the middle of it. And then, oh, yeah, we'll have sharks in the supermarket. And it is too much. Well, I know one film that you do like talking about. Cue the music. <laughs> So, Martha, Ms. Lane, are you a flicker or a scooper? Okay, I um, didn't know what that meant. They both sound like sex acts or something you would do on the toilet. So I'm going to say scooper. Scooper is... <laughs> is <laughs> all right, well, interesting that you answered that way, not <laughs> not knowing what it meant. But um, So flicker or scooper is, I guess, in essence, do you prefer... Watching films or oh, flicker. oh, then flicker. I'm a flicker. Flicker. Okay, I'm there we flicker. go. Because <laughs> I do like ice cream, but I could live without ice cream. But cancel the scoop. Yeah. Um, what What did you get from films that you don't get from ice cream? You think? Uh, stories and they last longer. <laughs> when you do eat your ice cream, do you prefer it in a cup or a cone? Oh, cone. Yeah, all the way. Waffle, like yeah, because it's edible. It's made of sugar. Like the the really posh waffle ones, not not a sugar cone. No, thank you. And I don't like the chocolate covered ones because it's always Scott Block and that's horrible. It's always what? Scott, like cooking chocolate. It's never good chocolate around Scott the cone, Block. is it? Scott Block. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard that term before. <laughs> well, it's a term. Google it. It's oh, a no, brand I, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> so, no, I don't want any of that. But I do like the big cones that like fit three scoops, mm. you know, like a proper. I get you. And when you go to an ice cream shop, you go in, you've got one scoop to choose. What flavour are you picking? Prob- I didn't know I would be confined to one flavour. Probably pistachio. That's a popular answer. There is. I live near a, uh Italian, like gelateria, and they do a Battenberg ice cream, wow. which is, I love it so much, but I always have it with the pistachio. <laughs> But how do they make that? As a do they crumble up Battenberg in it? Yeah, so it's got like ma- whole chunks of Battenberg and marzipan, and they must have a little bit of almondy flavour in. I don't think it's just vanilla. I think there's a bit of extra nutty flavour. So maybe that one, but pistachio would be more readily available to me. What's it called? This place? Demios. Demios. <laughs> Demios ice cream, and it is. Right. Oh, they do excellent pizza as well, but the ice cream. Uh, they haven't given us any money, by the way. This is, uh, yes, no, this, <laughs> this, is... <laughs> is, this is purely passion shout out. I will take their money. I will spend it at Demios. 
Hey, Amir, if you're listening, hit Martha <laughs> up. She only lives around the corner. When you go to the cinema, is ice cream usually a snack of choice? Um, yeah, because it's quiet. But I'm not, I don't really know when eating came so synonymous with going to the cinema. I'm perfectly happy to sit in the cinema without a snack. But I have also been known to eat my entire dinner at the cinema. A whole dinner? I used to, well, because I used to work, not like a turkey dinner, but when I used to work there, if I, was, on your lap. if I did a shift and then I went to see a film after the, my shift ended, but then I had to go home and like put the kids to bed, there'd be no time for, so full, you know, sandwich and bag of crisps while you're eating a film. The fact that it's quiet is the correct answer. Yes. Um, and for the, yeah, for when I, eating became synonymous, I... I was going to write something about it a while back and I think it was because Walls and some other ice cream mafioso were battling it out in the early 1900s or something. And then one of them wanted to get, one of them got into the cinemas during the interval to try and price the other one out of the market. Are you telling me it's all down to money? I think so, unfortunately. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. Do you go to the cinema often? Used to. Obviously, I haven't been in quite a while. Um, so pretending that COVID didn't exist. Pre-kids, I would have gone even more, had been known to go to the same film twice in one day at the mm. cinema. Used to go to the showroom a lot. Um, so yeah, it used to be kind of one or two a week. What was the then- staff dizzy like when you were working there? Free. <laughs> Free film. Man, that's, that's a dream, baby. But you still watch a lot of films now at home? If, I I would say no compared to what I used to watch, but I think compared to lots of people, I still watch a ton. They just aren't all the films that I necessarily am choosing to watch. So yesterday we watched uh, Nightmare Before Christmas and Elf. So that's still two films in a day, but they're not necessarily the films for me. Yeah, so I do yeah. watch a lot of Disney. Um, I think sometimes, a bit, I said earlier, you sometimes think, oh God, I can't watch a film. But then you end up binging three hours of a series and you think, oh, actually, I could have watched two films in that time. It's weird, but isn't it? How a the... different mindset. I think, well, if you've got a whole series at six, seven hours, or if it's a fucking American series, that's what, 14 hours. Of And so actually, if you like check your phone or go for a piss or need to go make a cup of tea, then it's like, if you miss a bit, it's fine because you're not going to, you will catch up. It won't be that so important. Whereas if you've only got 90 minutes of film and you miss five minutes of it because you're not paying attention, then you might miss something really crucial. So it feels like you need much more attention. It's weird how that set denomination of time feels like a lot longer than like if, if you said a film's two hours, it's like, oof, two hours, then it's a Yeah, have pop, I got then, two hours? Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah, like you said, with the TV thing, you can just waz through a load in, in no time. Odd. Um, why did you pick Jurassic Park? Tell me. Uh, because it's the, I mean, it's the best film ever. It's the, it's the greatest. Contradicting yourself on George. I know, I know. <laughs> I think it is the greatest film ever made, I think. Like, I know there are, I know, I know there are more noble choices and there are more intelligent films and there are more challenging films. Um, I really fucking love dinosaurs. I will put that out there. Always have done. Always will do. I love What's them so much. What's your favourite? I don't have a favourite. I love them all. 
equally like my children. <laughs> I just a diplomatic answer. <laughs> I, I love the aesthetic of them. I love how fucking big they were. I love that we don't really know anything about them. Love them. Um, so I just think that this film, I can I, I can honestly watch it on repeat, and I will never get bored. I like that it says it's more complex. Like you think, oh, it's a dinosaur film, but it is a bit more complicated than that. And I do think it just pips Jaws to the post as the best film ever because it's slightly less sentimental, slightly. Because Steven Spielberg does have that in him, doesn't he? He likes. He's got very schmaltzy these days, hasn't he? Yeah, it's not for me. Whereas there is this element of, yes, it's a happy ending; they get away, but they've still got a fucking massive island of dinosaurs to sort out. They haven't won. They've still been reprehensible people. Whereas, like in Jaws, people win. <laughs> Whereas this is a little bit more up in the air. So yeah, I just and I think it's aged well. I was thinking that actually because it's a, I watched it um, the other day for this. Um, it's the first time that I've seen it in a while, and it holds up actually, like the CGI and stuff. Yeah, I think the the effects hold up. I think the attitudes hold up as well, more so than if you compare it to the newer Jurassic Parks. Like, why is she running around in fucking high heels? You tell me that. <laughs> it drives hey, me. She's got mad. the Laura Dern shirt. Yeah, <laughs> be like, oh yeah, I'm ready now. Get some boots on. <laughs> And to get a degree in science. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you saw it? Yeah, really vividly because we had it on VH. I never. I think I was a bit too. I don't know whether I was too young to see it at the cinema, but my sister would have been too young to take with us. So I'd never saw it. I've never seen it at the cinema, which is really very upsetting. Um, so we had it on VHS, and it was the black VHS with just the logo on, and. Again, we kind of put it on in the back. We were definitely a family that just has stuff on in the background all the time. We put it on, me and my sister are playing. And then that that very first like raptor, I'm not going to do it, but the raptor noise. That's all I got you on here for. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in. I was like, I'm not playing with you anymore. I can't even remember sitting down. I must have sat down because it's two hours long. But I just, you know, jaw open. I am watching this and I am, I love it. I'm going to hate myself for standing like such a little toff, but I was taken to Disney World for my fifth birthday. Ooh. It, <laughs> yeah, I was no, taken to the Natural History Museum for oh. my fifth birthday. Um, and it had just come out of the cinema over there. So it's one of the first films that I remember seeing at the cinema. And like you said, with the with the raptor noise, the first time that you see the, the water ripple T-Rex scene in the cinema, the sound was like, mate, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. No, I had... Um, so I had booked... Of cinema, I was going to have a party this year to uh, like a hen party, um, and I had booked a cinema to watch Jurassic Park with my friends, and it was going to be it was going to be so good, but something got in the way. Were you going to go in fancy dress in those stupid dinosaur? I mean, what that wasn't my plan. I was going to look very nice, but I mean, most of my dresses have dinosaurs on. Really? Oh yeah. Do you hand make stuff? I do not have that skill. I'm not good at crafts. <laughs> Tell me, what do you think the importance of the setting or location is? I think that it is um, being isolated on the island helps the tension because there is no help coming. Um, it's also the benefit of it being kind of unfamiliar. So an unfamiliar setting obviously allows for a bit of artistic 
not many 10-year-olds have been to Isla Nubla. So they can be like, that tree's not there. Um, and it also allows that kind of arrogance of the viewer to be like, oh, that wouldn't happen here. It kind of distances the, the viewer. Um, but also being in a tropical island allows for really bad weather. So it's a really clever effect because it hides all that rain, hides the gore so it can stay a family film. Mm. So you think it's more of a device? Yeah, like you watch Nedry, that's really, you know, it's it's raining and there's mud and, and then he's obviously attacked in through glass like in the car. But a lot of the um, T-Rex, like when Malcolm's thrown through the air, it's rainy, it's dark. So it does just, it is scary because it's a T-Rex eating a man, but it's it's kind of not as visible as it could have been if it was plain. It's a theory. <laughs> Well, it's an interesting theory, and I don't, you're probably not far wrong because it's a PG, right? It's a PG. There's a lot of shits in it, but it is a PG. I was There's thinking like six this. Shits in it. <laughs> well, because I talked to my mum about it, and we thought that we saw it in America because they have different certifications over there. So if you're 12, you can with, you can go in with your parents. So it's like 12A, I, but for all things. Yeah, 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 yeah. But back then they didn't have that, so I was I thought it would have been a 12 because it, it's fairly violent. The... My daughter, my daughter will not watch. She's terrified of it. So uh, yeah, but for some reason, it stayed PG. But I think they used to play a bit more fast and loose with the certifications. Like, <laughs> I mean, Jaws has got the, the head decapitation, right? Yeah, but that is a fifteen. Jaws is a fifteen. Oh, is it? Oh yeah. Oh, that's, I'm all over the place. My certifications. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> So that is my guess: is that the, the rain kind of allows for a bit, of, and it's all you know, pathetic fallacy. The weather reflecting the mood i see you've used your a-level english literature (laughs) (laughs) um i think the line that stuck out for me was uh discovery is rape discovery is always rape of the natural world so i think i took it to be uh like a dig at america and colonialization maybe like particularly in central america and i guess the negative environmental effects that stem from capitalism like deforestation ecosystems being ravaged stuff like that yeah definitely stick it on a lunchbox it's definitely got an anti-capitalist vibe to it while being one of the most successful films ever made one thing that i noticed somebody posted was that the storm is what did it say storm's metaphorical for humans trying and failing to control nature. I wasn't sure how far you could go with that representation because I don't think the storm's the principal cap- catalyst for anything. No, the, the, no. But, so I think Jurassic Park would count as that like natural horror genre. Mm. That kind of, and it is all about, and it's the same as like Perfect Storm, Jaws, Anaconda, <laughs> Godzilla. It's all about man trying to control the uncontrollable. So I'm not sure that the storm is the main thing that they can't control. It wouldn't have the same feeling to it if it was all just set on a sunny day. Yeah, that's true. Has the film had an influence on your life at all? Well, apart from all the dinosaur gubbins that I own. Do they sell adult clothes with dinosaurs on? Yeah, but they're expensive because they can't just walk into... (laughs) Though actually, to be fair, it's becoming more like... There's a shirt in Sainsbury's at the minute with dinosaurs on. So it's, uh, I think, it's that kind of, oh, well, we'll stick, if we stick fire engines on a, on a little girl's dress, we'll be seen as woke. It's that sort of, girls can like dinosaurs too. Um, 
I'm not sure if it's like a chicken and egg situation where I like the film so much because I already loved dinosaurs or whether I love dinosaurs because I loved the film so much as a kid. It's going back to that kind of desperate for stories that didn't have princesses and love stories. And it was just something different. But again, I think that's why I was drawn to it rather than it being the catalyst for making me want stories like that. So I don't think it's necessarily influenced me. Um, But if I'm ever stranded on a dinosaur island, I think I probably would know what to do because I've seen it so many times. And then I can say it's influenced me. What do you think is the main flaw in the idea of Jurassic Park as a concept? Humans. That's what I've got. Yeah, we've ruined everything. <laughs> just, just getting too big for the boots. Absolutely. Just, and when I say people, it's men. <laughs> it's Ooh, the men. Good point. Ellie's not done anything wrong. Um, I think that obviously without people, there's no story because there's no fuck ups. But um, it is just, it's the humans sticking their oar in, greed, power this kind of weird mix of expertise yet complete idiocy so oh i'm an expert in genetics but i don't know that if i stick frog dna into a dinosaur it can change sex i don't know that and he's such a smart ass about it it's like that horrible smarminess like "Mm, yes i've made them all women yeah (laughs) you expect them to breed yeah (laughs) i do hammond goes a little bit too overboard for my liking with the Spared no expense. Spared no expense. Is it like, it's like yeah. his catchphrase. And then it's like, we get it, man. You spent wedge. And then except when it comes to Nedry, there he spared expense and it cost him. Yes. Cheeked That's him out. not really explained what he did to Nedry and what Nedry did to him. Have you read the book? I have read the books, but it was about two years ago. So I can't fully remember. And it is a bit different. The book is slightly different. The film's better. Okay. I think it's all to do with like, so that in Dodgson plays a much bigger part in the books. So that kind of corporate two companies warring over the same science is much more um, prevalent in, in the books. Um, so I think it's more to do with that than, than just kind of having Wayne Knight as a funny guy. I can't, I'm, I can't quite remember, but... Well, I won't hold you to it then. But, uh, <laughs> tying into the chaos theory, would you say Jurassic Park is predominantly orderly or predominantly chaotic? The park is orderly, but it's the people. It's, it's, it's humans that are chaotic because you can't... You know, they're jumping out of moving cars and they're making decisions that affect... So her turning on the parameter fence is a decision that she makes, but it affects Timmy. Yeah, I looked at that because they make this big deal about 10,000 volts. Uh, apparently a, tasers, a taser has 500,000 volts. So I don't know I don't know why they made <laughs> such a big deal about it being 10,000. It's probably, it's like it a sounds like a big number when you're a child. Because, you know, it is, it is a kid's film, I guess. It was originally supposed to be a kid's film, a family film. Um, but also you don't want it to be you don't want to tase a small child. I do not want to be seeing that. <laughs> no, I think I think you're right uh, about it being orderly. I mean, it's a toughie because I suppose it doesn't have to necessarily be one or the other. But for sake of argument, if it is orderly, all the systems that they use, they're not simple. And maybe on a grander scale, you could assert that animals in a zoo is 
a simple system in very broad terms, but all the computer systems are used to run the place and the science behind it. Okay, they've harnessed the chaos, but they've done so to give order to a complex system. I'm not entirely sure I agree with chaos or want to agree with chaos theory is probably the better. Okay. I don't... How's that? I'm not sure I want everything to be connected. Like I would actually prefer just chaos. Why? Why do we need to find patterns? Why can't we just have... It's Again, it's that man's need to conquer and understand. And Whereas actually, why can't there just be some stuff that is random and we don't understand? I do like how they introduced it, though. Um, sort of misdirection, stage misdirection. You know when a magician is telling you to look at one thing? Sleight of hand. Yeah, sleight of hand. So uh, Jeff Goldblum's hitting on uh, Laura Dern's character whilst just nicely introducing a very complex idea into the scenario. Yeah, why not? Do you think Hammond really cares about advancing science? I don't think he does. I think he possibly started out thinking that would be good but I think he is all about legacy he's all about getting his name out there he's about sparing no expense you know he wants to be seen as the host and the the person who like infamy he's after he wants to go down in history I don't think that because obviously you know he talks about having a flea circus so he's obviously been trying to do this sort of stuff again and again and again and each time is bigger and better. And you just think, if it was just about advancing science, you would maybe prove that you could do it with one, not try and make a theme park out of it. So it's it seems like showing off rather than altruism. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right there because he calls he calls the dinosaurs attractions. Yeah. at one point. He's much in the book. He's much more unlikable. I think by casting. Richard Attenborough, who looks like this kind of lovable, yeah, this <laughs> lovable granddad and this lovable like Scottish twang, and you just think, ah, oh, he could do no wrong, and he's David's brother, the brother of the nicest yeah, man on earth, exactly. So there, it's very clever casting, and I think he is a warmer character than in the book. But I think ultimately, you know, he obviously has faith in it because he sticks his grandkids out. He obviously doesn't think shit's going to go down. You see, I was wondering if that was more to pull on the heartstrings of the other people that were on the tour um, using them not as a ploy but saying like oh look it's safe it's so safe that I'm putting my grandkids in there yeah there's possibly an element of that though I think he is just naive enough to think that it will work yeah naivety he hates inspections um, he doesn't pay Nedry properly he makes a feminist faux pas <laughs> at the end but then he seems genuinely paternal, like in the egg hatching scene, or yeah, he ends up being really protective of his grandkids. So I think it's this naivety that he realizes by the end. By the time everything's gone tits up, he gets a slap in the face from reality. He's like, oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> What's your favorite scene? I can't choose. I think Shut it's up. more about <laughs> about the odd bum notes rather than one standout scene for me I just think it's brilliant all the way through apart from a few tiny things what are the tiny things 
Uh, it does really irritate me every time I watch it that they continue to call, I don't know why I think it's going to change because it's the same film, but why they continue to call the dinosaurs he when they have been told they are she all the time. I don't know where the parents of that boy is at the very beginning when, when Grant is like, I mean, I'd be stepping forward just going, um, okay, that's enough. Thank you. You know that when they go on the ride and they like get they get put in the little seats and they mm. have to watch the really shitty little cartoon yeah. about how they made it and they're all watching with these like wild eyes of like oh, wow but they are ex- they are paleontologists they don't yeah I mean he he knew about the the frogs yeah, they that ch- can change that they shouldn't be watching that film. With the wide eyes of a child, they should just be going, oh, okay, this is fine. This is going to explain some stuff. But that, I mean, again, these are tiny things. Well, unfortunately for you, I'm not going to accept that answer because the correct, <laughs> the correct answer is the Dodgson scene. <laughs> Hence the ice cream, obviously, but I just love shouting shit like that at people. Dodging, when bars or whatever. We're kind of dodging over here. That is a good scene. It's got to be the kitchen scene, hasn't it? The kids outwitting the dinosaurs. Do you think that that beats the T-Rex introduction? Oh, I don't, well, this is impossible. You're making me choose an impossible... I'm asking you horrible questions, I realise. No. I think that the T-Rex scene is more iconic, and but it's more drawn out. It's, like, it's a whole chunk of... of the film is set in that bit, isn't it? Whereas the the kitchen scene is a bit more pithy, shows that kids can, that's the bit where as a child watching, I was like, yeah, it's not just the adults fixing shit. It is, you know, the kids are taking control. They're smart. That bit where she's pulling the, um, the oven, like trying to get the oven down. And you genuinely think she's going to be eaten by a raptor. And then it's a, and in the newer films, they do that. They do a little homage to that, where she's trying to pull down the dumbwaiter. I can't remember it that well. I have watched all of them a lot. <laughs> well, good on you. So I think the kitchen scene, but I'm not happy about it. Okay. My favourite scene is... I'll, I'll take an unhappy kitchen scene. I'll accept that. Okay. <laughs> um, which character do you relate to, if any? Um, and if, Or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you or reminds you of something in your own life? I mean, I don't know what you wanted me to answer here because I don't know how anything could reflect what happened in my own life. Well, there was that time that I got eaten on the toilet. <laughs> it really resonates when I see that. Um, so, I, unfortunately, no, there, there is nothing that reflects. No, that's fair enough. I mean, the question used to just be, which character do you relate to? But then I realised that watching a lot of films, it's like, I don't relate to anybody in here. So then I added this next bit. I think all women want to be Ellie Sattler, surely. Surely all men want to be Ellie Sattler. I, man, I would pay to be Laura Dern. Yeah. Every, I mean, they are different people, but <laughs> Ellie is a woman in her own right. <laughs> Pull the Hammond there. You did. Um, yeah, I mean, she's got the two. I just think she's kick-ass and the dinosaurs eat men. Women inherit the earth. It's such a good little quip. <laughs> And I just think she's, you know, she's smart. She's appropriately dressed. I always forget that Grant and Sattler are actually in a relationship because it's there's so little made of it. You know, she calls him honey a couple of times. And 
they talk about kids, but not really in a way that you would, it's not a romantic film. That's not a romantic relationship. It is just like, oh, they've probably had sex once. That's what I like about it though. It's like, I mean, they're obviously two very practical oh, characters. Me too. me too. I think it's great, but she's not there as someone's girlfriend. She's yeah. there. She is an expert in her field and she has every right to be there. And I just think that is what's completely lacking from the newer films. Um, Jurassic Park films, not all films. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just think that she is great. Obviously, Alex as well, Lex. She outsmarts the raptor. She does. And she can hack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was that computer system about? SNES. I do. That's the sort of thing that I could cope with. Martha, tell me if we could, should we? I mean, it's really disappointing, but I'm going to say no. If you can find a film or a book that says it's where the ending proves that it's a good idea, I might change my mind. But there's a lot of films out there that suggest it's a really terrible idea. What about if it's for preservation? I guess, well, it's like like Hammond says, if he'd have done it with condors, <laughs> then people would be applauding him. So I guess if it's animals that you already know exist in the ecosystem, then yes. But, I mean, Dolly, Dolly the sheep lived for a long time. <laughs> she seemed fine. <laughs> but, oh, I don't know. I feel like we'd be better off just saving what already exists. Yeah, I think if it's to save something that humans have dicked on, like yeah. pushed to the verge of extinction, then fair enough. What's your favourite fact or piece of trivia about the film? Okay, I had to specifically look this up because I don't. I'm not really one for behind the scenes stuff, and like obviously, I know I like to know what actors are in films, but I'm not really kind of that stuff doesn't stay in my head so I had to kind of act actively go and search for Jurassic Park trivia and I found out that the dinosaurs are only on screen for 14 minutes which I thought was quite a good fact so again it's the Jaws trick isn't it it's the suspense and the audience's imagination doing half the work you know you will imagine far worse than what he can show you on screen and it's uh cheaper I imagine but that's quite good because you have to definitely walk away from it as a child thinking well that's the best dinosaur film that's ever been made and then when you watch it as an adult you think that's not actually just a dinosaur film mine was the Jurassic Park logo is kind of wrong because the T-Rex was in fact from the Cretaceous period which was millions of years after the Jurassic, Jurassic period yeah. well I read somewhere that this is nothing to do with the film. It's just a dinosaur fact. <laughs> so like, if you think about a stegosaurus, I think that's closer in time to us than it is to a T-Rex. Or something like that. The, like the, t the time that dinosaurs were on the planet is so vast that there are some dinosaurs that are closer to humans than there are to other dinosaurs. But the logo is kind of... is the It's the other way... So normally, like if a book is published, they use the film... It's like for the cover, but the book, the, they were working on ER together. Michael Christian, Crichton and Steven Spielberg were writing ER, which I didn't ER. know. Yeah, they were writing ER. And Michael said, oh, I'm writing this book. And Steven went, all right, well, I'm going to turn that into a film. So he got the film rights before the book was even published. 
So like the tick to the logo was kind of like a joint effort. Uh, so it's probably like marketing department. Yeah. Which is mad to me though, because the book is different to the film. So Steven Spielberg obviously went, well, that's a great idea, but I am not happy with how you're going to write it. So I'm going to do something different with it. So what so, did he, did he buy the rights before it was even written? I, I, I think oh, he bought the rights before it was public or it made one okay, right. I've agreed to get it made. Yeah. Because he was also making Schindler's List at the same time. They're quite similar. I, really similar. <laughs> I mean, Nazis and Raptors. <laughs> we haven't talked about Jeff Goldblum, which has surprised me. Well, let's. Don't have much to say other than, isn't he wonderful? Yes, he is. <laughs> I don't really like the new Jurassic Parks, but I am very excited that the old guard are going to be in the, the newest one. Mm. They were married at one point, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum. Were they? Yeah. Oh no. After after Jurassic Park, I think so. I think his little chaos theory hair <laughs> routine must have done a trick. I think it works on most women. It'd work on me. <laughs> We've been on a night out and a mate had come over from Manchester and he had to leave dead early in the morning. And before he left he put on that Ian Malcolm laugh on a ten hour loop on YouTube on, on the T V downstairs, mega loud. <laughs> And it, well, yeah, when you're mounted and you can't have enough strength to move. So this video was playing for like an hour or so before anyone got up and turned it off. So I think I got PTSD from the old. <laughs> <laughs> so when I said I wanted to watch Jurassic Park, you got Nam style flashback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to get used to Dr. Malcolm. Well. There's one more thing to do. Five. <laughs> so Martha Lane is going to give Jurassic Park... Five fat scoops. Fat scoops. Fat scoops, like the fattest scoops. So that actually it's like ten scoops. Mm, not sure about ten, but five hour <laughs> let's slide. It's very, very good. Well, uh, that's been everything. Could you just please tell us where we can find you, where we could read your stories, where we can look at your little... Twitter rants. <laughs> okay, so uh, on Twitter, I am at poor underscore and underscore clean because at poor and clean had already gone. And uh, <laughs> I put all my stories on there, scattered around the net in various online lit mags. Um, and hopefully there'll be much more to share in 2021. And I've realised that I introed you as poor and clean. And we've only just got to the point where that's going to make any sense so yeah. <laughs> i, I didn't think i was being like, a complete what? dick like oh man she's like super poor um where did the, where did the name come from it's a it's a lyric it's a reggae lyric by gregory isaacs living poor and clean rather than rich in corruption you've tied that in very nicely with jurassic park let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> it's like i live my life to the film well may that continue into 2021 thank you ever so much for doing this Enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, see you later. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Martha. And cheers, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to the Flicks and Scoops podcast on your preferred listening platform so you don't miss another corker like that. And it'd be great if you could give us a follow on Instagram or Twitter or wherever you like, really, just so I'm not screaming into the void. On the next episode, I'm joined by the team from the Umsteiger Mergelischkeiten podcast to take a look at the infamous duo Thelma and Louise. Ciao,
Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream. 